Welcome to Second Win, the podcast where we uncover the stories, methods, and modalities of women and men who have found their purpose while walking this earth. Sometimes they found their second win by accident, sometimes by hardship, and sometimes by intent. There is always something to learn from others and really isn't finding our own purpose what we are all looking for. I know I am. And that's why I'm hosting this very podcast. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Welcome Second Winders. As promised, I have brought back Lisa C. Decker. And Lisa is a certified divorce financial analyst with 14 years of experience. She has found that divorce is a process and not an event. Lisa found that the best approach for this process is with a holistic team of professionals and resources to offer alternatives other than just lawyering up. Divorce Town USA is the name of her business. And when we first spoke to Lisa, it was April 20th, 2022. Listen to that episode. It's a really good episode. We were talking about that, that we both thought we sounded fantastic. <laughs> And during this episode, we learned all about the gray divorce, which is what I was interested in and why I found Lisa was that so many of the divorces we have are in people's second wins, which wasn't making sense to me. So that was an excellent episode. And Lisa works to make the process of divorce as amicable as possible for both parties. Lisa wrote a book and it's called Divorce Your Spouse, Not Your Money. And back then, she was working on two more books. So we'll get an update on that. And so here we are now, late August of 2022, and we had promised to share her personal journey, which will make your jaw drop. And you're saying, well, why did it take this long to get this second episode out? And when you learn about Lisa's everyday life, you're going to totally understand. There's so much to learn from Lisa and her personal experiences and how she's come through it all that you're going to leave this episode with new insights and thoughts about your own life. Well, that's the idea anyway, here on Second Wind. So welcome again, Lisa. Thank you so much for being willing to come back on and share your very, very personal struggles and journey. Thank you so much, Wendy. I enjoyed doing the first show with you and I'm very uh, thankful that you invited me back today. I appreciate Aww. that. That's so sweet. Thank you. Yes, I enjoy meeting everyone. This is how my second wind is being fulfilled is by doing this and meeting all these fabulous people like you. So I guess before we even started recording, you said, hey, Wendy, I just want to let you know I'm coming out of a very dark tunnel and I'm starting to see the light. And I said, well, geez, maybe we should start there. That's a big uh, comment, shall we say. So let's yeah. start there. Well, as I shared with you, my personal journey when we talked before, um, not on camera, but what we talked about is that the last eight years of my life have been particularly stressful. And I have been in fight or flight mode. My parasympathetic nervous system has been in uh, ongoing for all that time, because it's been a series of one things one thing after another. Every time I'd stand back up, life would come at me with something else big again. And I've gotten to jokingly uh, relate my life to like Bobo the Clown. You know, every time you, uh, you remember old Bobo the Clown? I may be dating myself, but it was uh, no, you know, a No, I remember. <laughs> 
Uh, for those of us, yes, for those of us who were in our second win, we probably all know Bobo. And, you know, you punch Bobo, he would lay down and then he'd pop back up again. And that's what I've been doing for these last eight years. And, you know, at times like Bobo, you need a recharge and need to get refilled. You sometimes lay there for a little while before you stand back up. But, you know, I believe you got to do that in life. You just got to get back up from whatever's coming at you and be like Bobo. So what my journey has entailed for the last eight years started with a call in Mexico where my husband and I had just arrived for our first vacation in years telling us that our daughter had a very serious rock climbing fall, our middle daughter, and she had uh, been airlifted to the hospital. Uh, We made our way back to the United States as fast as we could, which took a couple of days, but we found that she had broken her back. A couple of days. We couldn't get a direct flight back and they were going to send us all over the country. So it was easier to just wait for the first direct flight. Yeah. We had just arrived that day when it happened. Oh, my God. How old Um, was she? She was in her mid-20s. Okay. In her mid-20s. And thankfully young enough to recover from it and doing great now. But she she fractured her skull in multiple places. And, you know, many miracles happened upon that mountain that that, uh, served to save her life and her ability to walk. And at the hospital as well, many miracles. And I am a firm believer in miracles because... I live a life of wonderment. That kind of started off when I look back now, this this time in my life where the hits kept coming. And within about a year and a half later, my husband and I were driving home from the store one day, as we had done many times, five minutes away from our home. And he had a heart attack behind the wheel of a moving car and passed out. And um, I had to take control of a car that I could not control the brakes or the gas or anything, just uh, helped us avoid a head-on collision, thankfully, and maneuvered the car around poles and wire tethers after we went up an embankment as I grabbed the wheel and finally got us to come to a stop by the grace of God and by, I believe, my husband's last wish was to to get that car to slow down uh, enough for me to be able to throw it into gear and just get it to stop. And it was quite an experience there at the side of the road as I said my goodbyes to my husband and he, I gave him CPR and he came back long enough to tell me that he loved me. And then he passed out and when he passed away and it was a lot of trauma at the scene with bystanders who meant to help and they didn't help. They made things worse, but I've done a lot of work on myself and I've done a lot of healing work and that's really what this is all about. And so I've forgiven them because I know their intention was pure. They didn't mean to to cause more damage. Lisa, this is really interesting because I'm sure people are thinking who are listening are going, okay, there's a little, a little here. So my first question to you would be, like, I, I imagine myself sitting in the passenger seat and having something like that happen. My dad was dying of cancer, and that was one of my mom's biggest fears was he would have an aneurysm or something would happen behind the wheel. She'd be with him. She never drove. He drove everywhere. And there was no, emerg- you know, the cars in the olden days had the emergency brakes in the middle. Mm-hmm. 
And she goes, we don't have a car that has an emergency brake in the middle. I don't know what I'd do. And I'm like, well, I'm sure it'll be fine. But, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You never, that, that won't happen. But it happened to you. And how do you even, like, I think I would freeze. I think I would, I'd be like, what? Hey, hey, knock it off. Like, how did you even know to grab the wheel? How did you? I, did you just blur? You even I know? Mean, just, I saw what was coming. I saw that we were going to have a head-on collision. I saw what was ahead of us. And just reactively, I just grabbed the wheel and turned it as hard as I could. And that's why we didn't turn on the road. We ended up going up an embankment because we were already too far into the to the center there of the intersection. So, you know, just instinct kicks in. Yeah, I guess we have to to know that our instincts would save us and that and also you're on the side of the road, you're doing your CPR. He says that, I mean, talk about a teary moment there. And you're saying people are not, they're trying to be kind and helpful, but they're not. Well, it wasn't and, that and they weren't. You mean that? Well, let's put it this way. I flagged down the first person I could find. Uh, ironically, I we had only gone to the store for a few minutes. I didn't grab my phone. And I his phone had a lock on it, and I didn't know how to do the pattern on it. So we should always know each other's spouse's information on things like that for so many reasons. Oh my gosh, I couldn't even call 911. I couldn't, no. So I flagged down the first car that came over the hill and it turned out to be a pregnant woman who was a nurse and her husband and he called 911 and she came to the car and I just started doing CPR, which I had learned probably 40 years before, (laughs) 30, 40 years and never done it. But instinct again and I did bring him back and I was so grateful for that he couldn't speak he could only mouth the words and I just knew he uttered three syllables and the look in his eyes I knew what he was saying wow so the people that stopped other people came after the nurse that was there with me we were waiting in silence I was having this quiet moment with my husband and suddenly Another person appeared in the passenger side, did not see her coming, came from out of nowhere and opened the door. And she had a presence louder than life. And she just had this booming voice. And she, what happened? And scared us all. Oh, no. And then she reached across me and I was on top of my husband in the in the driver's seat. And she reached across me and started putting his seat down. And the nurse and her started arguing and these two strangers. And I'm caught in the middle in this moment. And then suddenly I felt hands on my shoulders. And someone was doing this clucking kind of sound behind me, like speaking in tongues. And I didn't know what was going on. And then another man showed up and he said, I'm a paramedic. Can I check him? And no, wait, let me back up. So, So before that man showed up, while all this clucking was going on, the, the woman was holding his hands and she, the woman that had gotten in the car and she was screaming like she was at a pulpit and she was screaming that the blood of Jesus is upon him. The blood of Jesus is upon him over and over and over again. And, you know, this was just not my religious following. And it, it was crazy. You know, I've started to feel like this is not real. I'm having a nightmare. That's what my brain started saying, because all of this was so surreal. Then the man showed up and he said, I'm a paramedic. Can I check him? And 
when he did, I got off and I thought, thank God they finally got here because it was taking forever. And he checked his pulse and he said, oh, I'm off duty. I don't have any tools. And that was it. That was it. And that is exactly how I felt. And my my, oh my, mind, God. And my mind disassociated. So for anybody who's ever been in a really traumatic situation, your mind may not be able to handle what's really going on and you disassociate. And that's exactly what happened to me, which I've learned later. I didn't understand at the time, but I said, truly, I'm having a nightmare. This is not real. I just need to wake up. And I started running around to the people that were gathering around the car, strangers who just showed up watching and slapping my face and asking them to slap me and saying, please wake me up. It was very, very traumatizing. Wow. It really oh was. Really. But before I go on and tell, well, maybe I'll save this best part for, for last. Let me just continue on because in order to understand where I am now, you have to understand all that's come about during these eight years. And so that was the day after Christmas 2016 that my husband passed away. And it was a very challenging time to say the least. You know, one minute we're doing fine and the next minute he's gone. And we had just moved into a home that we were fixing up, downsizing into a smaller home. And we had a lot of work to do. And we had just left all the tools on the floor when we went to go to Home Depot, right? So he never came home from Home Depot. Yeah. And I had, you know, to finish all of this work and figure it all out myself. I was the helper but I didn't know how to do those things. He and I did all the work ourselves. So after that, God, so much happened. The following Christmas, nearly Christmas, almost a year to the day, I had a, I was taking my mother, who, by the way, my mom had moved in with us a few months before um, all of this happened. And two weeks before we moved and before my husband died, she found a lump in her breast and it turned out that she had a triple cancer diagnosis. And two days after his funeral, her chemo started. So there was no time to grieve. It was, I can't lose my husband and then my mother and almost having lost my daughter. I got to keep my mom alive. Well, that went on for over 400 medical related appointments and surgeries and chemos and radiations for over two years. And she fell and broke bones and, you know, all that goes on with it. And thank God she's still alive. Uh, she's a fighter. But last year, her we, she started having some cognitive problems. And I took her to um, a neurologist. And they said that uh, cancer had metastasized to her brain. So she's had cyber knife radiation. And she's doing okay. But um, she does have dementia now. And so, you know, we're making her comfortable. And and, and enjoying every minute of her time left. But I took care of her here at home until this year. Uh, so for six and a half years, she lived with me. And we were. I was taking her to one of her doctor's appointments the year after he died. And as I'm driving an, over a bridge going over a major highway here in, near Atlanta, a deer ran up the side of the hill and jumped over the barrier and crashed into my car. Not just a deer, a big buck with antlers. And I never saw it coming because it just broadsided me. I didn't know anything until I saw it, heard it, and felt it at the same time. And there was an eye and an antler staring at me through my windshield 
with this loud thump and it nearly came through the windshield with the antlers. So I slammed on the brake so incredibly hard because it was so startling. I never had a chance to react to this and I caused a severe nerve injury. It caused that when I hit the brake so hard and I had to have cryoablations done for that and, and a surgical procedure. And I'm still trying to recover from that completely uh, five years later. So that was really gut-wrenching to go through that as I'm trying to recover from all these other things going on. And Well, wait, Lisa, what kind of pain does that, what kind of this nerve damage, what did that look like for you? Is it skull? Uh, oh, was actually it nerve in the back? It's in our leg. leg and buttocks area and, you know, some private parts that I'd prefer not to get into. But <laughs> it's called a pudendal nerve for anyone who's ever had that problem. Bikers, people that sit, do a lot of bike. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Almost like a sciatica kind of thing. Uh, yes and no. Yes and um, no. Okay. But it's very, very painful. And I didn't sit for an entire year until I finally was able to get that surgery. And here's part of the miracles that I'm going to share. It took me a year to figure out what the problem was. I discovered it. The doctors couldn't just couldn't figure it out. My daughter and I just started doing research. And it so happened that the pioneer of the procedure to treat this this nerve injury is here in Atlanta at Emory University. And I was able to get my insurance to let me to go out of um, network. And that was a whole other insurance. Fighting insurance is, is a yeah. drama in itself. But um, they, by the time they approved me for it, it was the end of that following year, 2018. And the doctor didn't have any more appointments available. People fly from all over the world to have him do this procedure. Oh, and no. I cried and I cried because, you know, the following year, I wasn't going to have the same insurance. And so I oh just prayed gosh. and prayed and prayed. And I told the woman at, at the hospital there, if you get a cancellation, please call me. And she said, I will, but I can tell you we've never had a cancellation. That just doesn't happen because these appointments are so far and few between. Well, a few days later, she called me and she said, Lisa, you're not going to believe this, but we had a cancellation and you're the first person I thought of. Can you be here? I said, tell me the day and the time and I will be there. It turned out to be December 26th. No way. Yes. And I told the two doctor, years later, you've got you've got extra set of hands here with you today. You know, God and my husband are both here with us today. And I told him about my husband and that story I just told you. And he was like blown away. So I was able to sit after three months for the first time in over a year um, until someone nearly caused another accident. And then it reset things off. But I'm not at the same degree that I was. So it's manageable now. And for that, I'm very grateful. So you were in another car accident? Near. A woman who had pulled off on the side of the road at on 75, sitting on the on-ramp on the side of the road looking at her phone and decided it was time for her to go and never looked that we were coming on the road, the driver I was with. And she pulled right out in front of us, literally right out in front of us. And we were all over the road trying not to hit her And that. It wasn't healed enough to go through something like that again. So, but you know what? I'm not focusing on it. I do what I need to do. And, you know, I have more relief than I ever had. So I'm grateful for all of that too. 
Uh, that same year, I was dealing with a nightmare I called the moldy money pit in uh, another state. I owned a rental property that I had owned for years, and I decided it was time to sell it. And we discovered that the previous tenants had made some things happen in there that caused mold, and there was some other issues. And it turned into a year, over a year of trying to eradicate the mold while I was going through this whole problem with this nerve injury and fighting with that insurance company too and finally ended up giving that back to the bank so it was these two guys that were coming at me at the same time and it was just gut-wrenching got through that year and then the following year I I, you know there's so much I try to remember I try to forget because I don't want to keep going over it but you know when I'm recalling the story here 2019 so in 2019 my son-in-law passed away Unfortunately, he had struggled with addiction and finally succumbed to it and left behind my daughter and two beautiful grandchildren. And um, my daughter struggled with the whole situation and wasn't able to take care of the kids. So by 2020, I ended up with the children. And that was after, as the world was Coming to a point with COVID, I was diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time in my life right that week. And it was the same week the kids were moving in. No, the same week that COVID was happening. The kids, oh, okay, okay, a couple of months later, but but their father died in 2019 and it led to that. Okay. I had, because I had had breast cancer once before and already had a mastectomy from my stomach area, a reconstruction from tissue from my stomach area, I could not have that procedure again. And so I did a lot of research and, you know, doctors tried to tell me there was nothing but implants. And I wasn't interested in implants because I've known too many people who have had implant illness. And have had to have explants and I didn't want to be sick with anything else. And I had to fight for that as well because they were telling me you get implants or you get nothing. And really? one of the things that I want to take people to take away from this is that you need to be your own advocate. You need to be an involved participant, not a passive, you know, bystander. Yeah, exactly. And I have a saying for that. It's not coming to me at the moment. There's so much here. It's all jumbled up, but. The first time I went through breast cancer in 1997, I was 36 years old, three small children, running a business, married happily, and, you know, boom, my world was blown apart. I was diagnosed with MS the day before the breast cancer, and it was like a one-two punch that I can't explain, but that was the procedure back then, a tram flap. I ended up having a beautiful experience come from all of that because I was asked to teach a breast cancer program. And so I designed, implemented, and taught this program uh, that I created to over 20,000 people. And that was so rewarding. Uh, But fast forward to 2020 when, you know, here we go again, 22 years later, I never imagined cancer would be a part of my life again, but it was. And here it was as the world was shutting down. And this time, you know, I didn't have those same body parts. And so I researched and I discovered that, you know what, you can do this from your buttocks. They can take a mass of tissue and they can detach it and reattach it as reconstruction there. 
doctors here didn't know about it, didn't want to know about it. And I was told, no, it couldn't happen. And I spent months while my life was in the balance fighting the insurance company that I should have the same right as any other woman. And I took it all the way through multiple external reviews until I finally got approved. And I flew out of state to a breast cancer facility in New Orleans and did that there. And this was all while the world was shut down. So it was even harder because no surgeries were being planned. And it, it was yeah, really, really very stressful, to say the least. But I got through all that. I did well with the surgery. And I actually had five procedures in one because I had things that needed to be fixed from the first time around. And, you know, I didn't want to go for multiple procedures. So I had five procedures at one time. It was a little rough to recover from, but I did. And I'm grateful for all of that, that, you know, I finally got approved and that I've done so well after surgery, rounds of chemo. And it was in the midst of all of that, that my grandchildren came to me. And so I had to take them in and, you know, love them up and give them everything I could after their trauma. And wait, Lisa, how old were these kids? At that time, they were five and eight. Oh my gosh. And you're taking your mother, you're taking care of your mother and you are having chemo and you've been through surgery. Who's taking care of you? Uh, good question, huh? Oh, it's a good question. Yeah. Oh no. You know, there's no one to take you. Well, you know, sometimes in life you just have to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving. And that's basically what I did. I still have my businesses to run and clients to take care of and family to take care of. And so I just kept moving and moving and moving and moving. When 2021 hit, my mother had brain metastases, as I think I mentioned, and, you know, things started to shift and, you know, it just got a little bit rougher. By 2022, this year, my mom was having massive hallucinations and uh, seniors, by the way, for those who don't know, can get those from UTIs. So if you ever have a senior in your life who is having hallucinations, and it could very well be a UTI, something as simple as that. But we couldn't get it cleared up. And she was outside trying to chase away trash can robbers that she was seeing in her imagination. And she fell and broke her shoulder. And after that, she just, her decline happened very quickly. I had to call the paramedics out several times to, for lift assistance, to put her back in the bed. But the next morning, over 24 hours, they were out three times. The next morning, I found her laying on the floor again in total disarray. She didn't know where she was. And it was that moment that I knew I, I couldn't take care of her anymore. She couldn't stand anymore. So it was a blessing in a way. And the way is that I had had her on a waiting list for a nursing home for quite some time, knowing that the dementia was accelerating and things were getting worse and there would come a time when I couldn't take care of her. But, uh, you know, it's hard to get them admitted. And so what people should know is that if you ever have a situation like this, you want to keep your loved one in the hospital for three overnight stays. No matter what, they have to be there three overnight stays. Then you can tell them, I cannot care for this person anymore at home. They need to go to short-term rehab. They need to get stronger. 
And once in short-term rehab, they will get them to the best level that they can in rehabbing them. And then you say, I cannot do this anymore. And you need to accept them into long-term care. And that is how my mother was able to get admitted to a facility where she's doing very well now. And, you know, I'm grateful for the care there. So that happened in February this year. And so now, you know, after a few months, I was able to take a little bit of a breather, you know, once I got everything arranged and, you know, went through the whole process with Medicaid and Medicare and all that good stuff. And, and oh my gosh, yeah, that, that I will tell people, you know, prepare for things like this well in advance, because trying to go through five years of records to get everything together, it was very, very stressful. Again, you know, you're already stressed with taking care of your loved one, making sure they're doing well and all that they need. And it's confusing for them. And then you've got to turn around and come up with all this paperwork and everybody's wanting everything right away. And so, you know, start making those plans for your senior parents or those that you love that are seniors in your life. By April, when we talked, I was really starting to feel everything. I had managed to take care of my granddaughters for almost two years at this point. And, you know, God love them, children. I love my granddaughters to death. I love them with my whole being. But children need a lot of care and attention and time and the routine of getting them off to school every day, getting them after school, taking them to their activities, the weekends with the birthday parties and the play dates. And I was volunteering at their school one day a week and I was trying to be everything for them that they didn't have anymore. You know, I wanted them to not feel that they were being neglected in any way. Right. Or slighted. Yeah. You know, and in the meantime, I was neglecting myself. Oh, yeah. And my daughter, my middle daughter, Brittany, found a wonderful place for them, for children who have had adverse childhood experiences, called the Milton Hershey School in Pennsylvania, Hershey, Pennsylvania, founded by the Hershey couple. That, that's, I know about yes, this school. Yes. Oh, my goodness. There. Yes. Oh, this my God. Well, unbelievably. Yeah. We applied and they got accepted and in a very short time, because when I told this story to them and how tired I was, and the fact is that I didn't think I would live through another school year. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just was so worn down. They called me a week later and said, come back, bring them back after we had just been there for our interview, which never happens. Never. And And how did the kids feel about this? Were they cool with it? They... They, the youngest one was so intrigued about it. The first time I told her, she's like, Mimi, tell me more. Every day she asked me about it. She was so intrigued. It was so cute. And the oldest one was like, I don't think so. I don't want to leave my friends. But the more they learned about it, we had to do online tours and, you know, showed them things and the opportunities that are available to them and how much the school takes care of for them. And it's just a most amazing place on the planet, the only school of its kind in the whole country, and they pay for everything. It's all funded by sales of Hershey chocolates. Love Hershey's. Eat Hershey's, please. <laughs> you are helping so many children. It is a, a, a most amazing place, and all of it is funded by the Hershey Foundation. Uh, Milton and Captain Hershey could not have children, and they wanted to do something to help children. So they started this school over 110 years ago. 
uh, with just a few boys. And it grew into this amazing campus that takes over almost the whole city. And these kids live in student homes with, you know, special home parents and just uh, eight to 10 kids in a home. And they become like their sisters or, you know, their brothers if they're in a boy's home. And they take care of their every need. And there is no cost to the families whatsoever if you qualify. Is there ever a thought that your daughter might be able to take them back in? I don't know. I'm not sure about that right now. Gotcha. And, you know, honestly, I hope that someday, you know, that there will be a reuniting but I do hope they can finish school here because the opportunities that will be availed to them with the opportunities for college scholarships through Milton Hershey School and also how they help the kids to apply to colleges. The, the young man who took us on the tour there was going to Villanova with over $300,000 in scholarships all paid for. Wowzers. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. So you want them to get the best light up. Yes. Yeah, basically. And and they're they have, you know, counseling there, medical, all their needs are met, everything. And I could not give them all of that. I had to finally admit that I couldn't be all to everyone because I couldn't do anything for myself anymore. You know, I had to start looking out for me. And so why I say I'm coming out of the dark tunnel and into the light now is because after I took them there. I came home and for a few days I was okay. I was, you know, running around trying to get things done and just thinking, wow, this is great. You know, I'm, I'm feeling good. And then it hit me. It hit me so fast and hard. I felt like I crashed into the wall at the intersection of burned out and worn down at a thousand miles an hour, because that's what I had been going at for all those years. No break, no way around any of the responsibilities that I had faced. And now once it all stopped, my body and my mind just collapsed and I slept for days upon days. I would just get up and eat something and go back to sleep. And I'm still coming out of it. I mean, I have intense adrenal fatigue right now, but I am getting support around that. And I'm doing things that are starting to make me feel better. And so, you know, my message in all of this is that, yes, put one foot in front of the other. Be like Bobo when you have to be, but make sure that somewhere along the way you are taking time out for yourself to take care of you because 60% of caregivers die before the person that they're taking care of. What? I have not heard that. Are you serious? I am serious. And I was shocked when I learned that. And I knew that I was next. Oh my gosh. Yes. Not like you were next. I knew it. I knew it was coming. There's no way that I could continue to exist in the physical shape and, and the, you know, mental fog that I was in. And so Lisa, people listening right now are hearing your story, right? And you're talking about all these things that would be a heavy burden for anyone to deal with. But let's not forget, you still had your TV show thing that you do for Divorce Town USA. You still had your business. You're still mentoring people. You still have clients. Through all of this, how, do you, how did you even begin to show up professionally? I'm just thinking about myself when I was like deep in the throes of Lyme and just felt like caca. And all I could do was like, just lay there. 
And thank God I had a bunch of podcast episodes ready to go because there was no way I could have like been able to just get up in front of the camera, know who I'm talking to, be able to make cognitive conclusions and thoughtful sentences and talk to someone and listen. I couldn't have done it. And that's so minuscule compared to what you were dealing with. I mean, you have people, like nobody knows if I'm filming or not. Nobody knows. It doesn't affect anyone one way or the other if I'm doing my podcast, right? I'd love it to get to that point where people are like, oh no, where's the next podcast? Okay. But we're not there yet. But you have people, depending on you, have clients who are in the throes of divorce trying to negotiate and and somehow figure out fairness and equitableness and how to maintain and move on. And then you've got your television show that you do, right? And your business. And you are now the sole breadwinner. Because, and now you've got these two grandchildren. And you said a crazy cat. You left the crazy cat out of it. <laughs> I remember that from last time. And then your mom and just insurance, me just trying to figure out my mother's uh pharmaceutical plan through AARP, which is a complete <laughs> ripoff, right? Complete ripoff. And, you know, I finally got someone on the phone saying, yeah, I said, this seems like a scam. She goes, yeah, I would investigate, see Urgh. how much less of the scam you need to deal with. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And that was hours of my time. Hours. Just that yes. little tiny piece. And it's one way or the other. It doesn't matter. I could let it go and she can afford to pay it and it's fine. But I'm trying to be you know, uh, a steward of her finances. How did you do this? How did you do this? How did you show up? How did you show up? You know, I just, I know people are depending on me. I yeah. would sometimes be sleeping until 15 minutes before show started. <laughs> wow. Um, setting lots of alarms. So I made sure that I woke up through them. It's that sheer determination. And also sometimes it, the distraction of work was gave me something else to focus on other than all that was going on in my personal life. And knowing that I was helping other people out through a difficult time in their life was very rewarding too. And I had gained a lot more empathy for people because I know what it's like to live through life challenges multiple life challenges, right? But, you know, there are days that I don't know how I did it. I just did it. And I also made sure that I surrounded myself with good people that I could consult with if I needed to, to make sure that the decisions that I was making were good, were found, you know, would you take a second look at this for me? What do you think about this plan I put together? And it was very rewarding to me that I was still able to give people incredible value and service. I work mostly with couples as a financial neutral. So I don't do, you know, the heavy courtroom battles. That's not my style. I'm a peacemaker and I don't want to destroy families. So for me, it was very valuable to be able to give people this not only financial planning that showed them, you, you know, this is what it looks like. This is the best plan for both of you in light of taxes and credit issues and insurance and all that goes on with it. Here's how it looks. Here's my recommendations. 
but also that you walk away from this, you're still going to be co-parents. Hopefully you'll be friends. And I didn't, I don't want to see you destroy your family. I got a call yesterday and I know this isn't, this call isn't about work, but I got to tell you, I got to call you. No, I want to know. <laughs> yeah, I love wiring mind, Wendy. I love it. <laughs> so a couple that had called me over a year ago, maybe a year and a half. And I had done a discovery session. That's like my initial consult with them and talked to them about this process that I have, this flat fee, uh, systematized process that takes three to four months, a couple of meetings. And we basically, for 90% of people, we get it done. 90% of couples, we get to resolution or very close to it. Whatever, for whatever reason, they decide to go the traditional litigated route. And they called me uh, last week. They wanted to have another session and they had mediation today. And it was sad to hear that they had not, they were going into mediation and they still didn't understand the numbers, what was being proposed, neither one of them. And they had hired other experts and they had battled it out for a year and a half. And all they kept saying was, I don't want to destroy you. I just want to understand, you know, to each other. They were saying this on the call with me. It was the first time they really talked to each other in a long time and we're on a Zoom together. And so I gave them some suggestions and how to take back control the process and what they could do and how to handle today. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, I hope it went well for them today, but they really didn't have enough information to make informed decisions on some very complicated financial matters. And so we'll see. They may come back and, you know, we'll we'll figure it out together. But I, I am so excited about this process that I've developed in the middle of all of this. In the last eight years, as all of this was happening in my life, I figured out this new path to show people getting divorced. And so it's been like a baby that I've birthed. And to watch it grow and to hone it and fine tune it and make it, you know, we're always improving. Every case we learn something we can adjust, make better, you know, just some ways to keep improving, improving, improving to help improve people's lives. And that is so rewarding that I just couldn't let that go. I just couldn't because that was something that really is heartfelt for me. And, and it was good to have another focus besides just all the mayhem in my own life. I was fine. Seems like maybe that was your lifeline. Maybe it, that it was, was your, I mean, there were days that, you know, I did want to just keep sleeping, <laughs> but you know, there was a lot of magic among the mayhem of my life in these eight years. And I want to go back to talking about that if we met. Yeah, I wanted, I was about to say, share some of that with us, the magic, because anybody listening would be like, it's, I mean, I picture when you were like, yeah. And then the next thing came, I can picture you standing on like this beach and a ne the next tsunami comes. Yeah. And then you stand up again and the next that's what it felt well, like. I yeah, through earthquakes and tsunamis and tornadoes yeah. and sinking sand and all of it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's been quite the ride. And you know, I feel like I've been through, you know, a, a long winter slumber full of filled with nightmares and wonder. And I've told you about the nightmares. So the wonder is yeah, let's hear the amazing. wonder. Amazing, and that's one of the books that I have been writing. Um, I actually wrote it one post at a time through Facebook because I was sharing the the whole experience of my husband's uh, passing and, you know, all the things that I've been sharing here. Most of them I shared on Facebook 
and, and people kept saying, I want you to put all these posts together and make a book. I want to give this to someone. So here's where the magic began, not only on the mountain. And there was magic there because there two of the, um, when my daughter felt that two of the people yeah. that she went with that day were first responders and they knew what to do when she fell. And because of them and two strangers who showed up who happened to be first responders, because of the, what are the chances, right? Right. And those strangers yeah. have never been seen again on a mountain where everybody knows everybody in the area. I really think they were angels sent. I really do. Oh my gosh. But they knew what to do to save her, right. not only her life, but her ability to walk. And they laid on top of her for over two hours while the rescuers made their way up the mountain in the dark because it had gotten dark by the time this happened. It was the last hike, uh, the last run of the day up the mountain. And so, you know, they were able to get her down the mountain and got her to the bottom. She was experiencing hypothermia and they needed to get her there quickly. And someone said, there's a launch pad for a helicopter right down the road here. And they were able to life flight her to the hospital because everything just came together. And the doctor at the hospital, I was told by the doctors here in Atlanta, did a picture perfect uh, surgery on her. And so, you know, she has had a miraculous recovery and she still got some problems, fallout from it, but she never complains and she just does what she needs to do. And she is doing amazing in life, amazing work. And so that's, that's where the magic started there. And it continued after my husband died. The day after he died, I was walking down the path behind our house that leads to a lake that we live near. And I was talking to him out loud and I said to him, I feel you're still with me. I know you're still with me. And if you are, I want you to send me a sign. And the sign I want you to send me is a heart-shaped rock. Now, I don't know why I said that, but it just came out. And I was thinking something the size of the palm of my hand. And amazingly, well, I went down that path and, and it splits in two. And I walked all the way to the left side for about an hour. The beach is, uh, the lake is partially drained in the wintertime here. So that I could see all of everything. I searched all over the beach. I could see all the rocks and everything. Nothing was there. I came back to the starting point and I said, well, today's the first day I'm going to go to the right. And I hadn't been to the right because there's this deep, mucky creek there. And I said, I don't care. I'm not leaving here until I find that rock. I know it's here. I know you're here. And so I trudged through the muck. Now, remember, this is the day after Christmas. It was cold and fell down in the water. I got muddy and dirty and I'm, my feet are stuck. My shoes are coming out and I'm trucking through the muck. <laughs> it's like, what am I doing? But I got to the other side and not long after I found this most amazing heart rock that's about this big. In fact, it's right in the other room here. If we have time before the end of the show, I'll go grab it. And it, it's huge. And I saw it laying there on the top of the sand. I was like, I, I can't believe it. And I looked around at the surrounding rocks and they were boulders. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it must be buried deep in the sand. And I slid my finger into the side of it and it's this thin. Oh, no way. And I picked it up and it's like, if it were really big, how would you carry it all the way right. back? It weighs five pounds, yeah. but okay. it, it was amazing. And I could not believe what I was seeing. So I picked it up and I ran all the way home 
And I got into the house and I was showing everyone that was starting to show up for the services and everything. And I'm like, look what just happened. We did this before, like people were coming to your house. It was the day after. Wow. Yeah. So we, you know, people, family was just starting to come in. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, not before the funeral. No. No. (laughs) Oh my God. But I scrubbed it up and I took a picture and I put it on Facebook and people started saying to me, you know, it looks like something's etched in it. And I could kind of see something too, but I couldn't really make it out. And then within a day or so, I realized about the same time they did that his name is lightly etched in this rock. Ron is his name, R-O-N. And he wrote his R's with a curly Q at the bottom. And in that curly Q is a heart with another heart inside of it. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like, I don't know what to think about this. <laughs> That started the magic and all, everything since then has been just heart after heart after heart. I have hundreds and hundreds of hearts, pictures, rocks, um, food, scraps of paper on the floor, carvings and trees, just, they just keep appearing and people send me rocks all the time. I was telling this story at a uh, workshop. I've done a lot of work on myself too to get through all of this trauma. And I want to make sure we talk about that because that's really the crux of all of this, okay? But I was at an experiential workshop, a psychodrama. What an interesting experience. And I was telling the story about the rock, the heart rock. And the next day, one of the participants came up to me and he said, I want you to have this. And he handed me this beautiful pink crystal rock. And I, I was like, Okay, thank you. He said, no, you don't understand. I came home last night. I walked up the stairs to the top of the landing and there's this pink rock that was never there before. Said I went in, I asked my wife, where did this come from? She said, I don't know. I've never seen it before either. And we both decided that it was meant for you. And so people do this stuff all the time. All the time, things like this happen. And it's just been miracle after miracle. And they still keep coming. Almost six years later, they still keep coming. I get them daily. I will send you some pictures. It is just, but it's so heartwarming and this can happen to anyone. And that's the the takeaway I want people to know from this is that our loved ones, they've moved on into another realm, but they can still connect with us. They still can look over us. They are still with us. It's just that we can't see them, but they can see us. I, that's what I believe. And the messages still come. This summer, I went on several trips around the country, visiting family and friends. And each place I realized as I was making these arrangements for these trips, I realized that each place had significance for me or he or we, because either I was from there, he was from there, or we had some connection to there. And so I decided to take some ashes, my husband's ashes with me to each place I went and release them in each place. And every time I did this, heart showed up and the people that were with me could not believe it. Uh, We went to a beautiful, my daughter, Brittany, got engaged this summer in the Sequoia National Forest. And we went, found a beautiful creek, a river actually near there to release these ashes. And as we are looking in the water, the most beautiful heart just appeared in the water. I don't know what made the heart. I don't know whether it was the sand or the reflection of the sun, but it was just incredible. I said, there it is. I knew 
that it would be there wherever we found a, sp a place. And every place we went to, it happened, some kind of hearts. Uh, I took my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law, my, my husband's mother and, and sister, and I had gone to um, Pennsylvania and my husband was from New Jersey. So they, we, we went back to New Jersey where he used to swim in this lake as a child. And I released some ashes there. And I said, wait, just wait. I'm looking around. I said, the hearts will appear. And all of a sudden the wind blew these plants towards us and they were all heart shaped. There were three of them, one for each of us. And they were just like amazed, you know, <laughs> these things, they just keep happening. So there are miracles all around. There is magic among the mayhem if you look for it if you're open to it if you ask and i continue to ask and i continue to show gratitude because it's so it's so heartwarming it's so affirming that you know there's more beyond what we know and that all will be together again and um just to have that connection is amazing what have you what have you done as far as work on yourself and how did you get to that point where you could actually do that. Do what? Find and know what you needed in order to work on yourself. Well, I I think it started after my daughter's rock climbing fall. I was um, seeing someone for an energy healing session, which I, in the meantime, I also took an energy healing certification course. And, and now I have that certification because I know oh my God. it was an, an amazing experience. And again, it kept me focused in a good way, but also to help understand and heal from all of these things. I did it more for myself than, than really to, to practice on others. But I do sometimes when people ask, but it may become a part of the work that I do later. I don't know. I just keep letting life unfold. You know, as something interests me, I follow that path. But I was having this energy healing session and the woman who is now a dear friend, you know, we were talking about my daughter's accident and what was coming from that and what was coming up for me as she's doing the energy healing session. And she's, I said to her, you know, I wonder if there's such a thing as a trauma gene, a trauma gene. It came to me because my daughter tumbled down a mountain 50 feet, right? My mother, when I was six months old, my mother and father were hit head on by a drunk driver and knocked down a mountain in the dark, in the rain, and tumbled. My mother, my father caught me in midair, was able to get out of the car. This was before car seats and seat belts and all of that. But he couldn't get my mom out of the car because the tree was wedged up against it. And before he could do anything or anyone had arrived, the tree gave way and she went all the way down the mountain and broke windshield with her face and had significant injuries from that. And so there was, a, you know, this tumbling thing, right? And then my, her mother, unfortunately, was uh, passed away from her father who came back from World War II uh, with PTSD. At the time, they called it shell shock. They didn't really know what to do for people. And, you know, he found solace in a bottle, right? That was how he handled things. But he was very abusive when he drank. And so my mother was a victim of child abuse and her mother was a victim of domestic violence. And he eventually shoved her down the stairs one night and she broke her neck and died, tumbled down the stairs. So there was this connection of women and tumbling and trauma in my life cycle. And I hadn't realized it until that moment. And I said, my God, is there some kind of gene, some kind of genetic factor? And we're like, 
can't make that connection energetically. Maybe there has been, maybe there's something of trauma energetically that's come through the family. What I learned, and this opened the the door to my healing is that I went home and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I started, you know, Googling trauma gene and epigenetics came up. And epigenetics is an entirely, it's not a new field. It's been around about 20, 25 years, but a lot of people don't know about it. More people are talking about it now, but it's, it's this idea that adverse experiences in our lives can be passed down to future generations, can have right. effects on future generations. And so right. it opened this door and I said, oh my God, I have to know more about this. And I have been, that was the book I was working on when my husband died. I was actually speaking on it before the book was finished called Shattering the Legacy of Trauma. And I was oh, wow. experts and I was, you know, doing all my research and I will finish this book before I leave this planet because I have to, it's, it's something that I must do. And I feel like it's my legacy to leave. And, but also by all of the work that I have been doing in researching the book, I've been working on myself with much of the things that I've learned about healing. And every time I do some type of experience or some type of modality, it's like taking another layer of the pain away and opening up for healing. And it just, you know, I don't think that if I had taken any one thing, that it just would have helped me as much as it has by doing multiple things, doing many things, doing a variety of all kinds of things, because in each way, they all have a purpose. And so I feel like I'm an onion that keeps being peeled. And eventually I'm going to get to the core of all of this and have the total healing that I seek. And I'm on the path to that now. Oh, that's amazing. I love how you said that. I was thinking onion and the layers and and that's kind of where we need to go medically is the many, many-sided approach. You don't just have high blood pressure. You don't just have this thing that you need to take uphill for. That there's many, many different things that created that and that to peel away the reasons why. The high blush rushes there, for an example. And that's exactly, and same with our mental state and our mindset and why our mind may be the worst part. And it's funny that you're saying that. I interviewed Diane and Rick today of co-parenting and I found them through you, through co-parenting through divorce. Oh, great. And they, have a very, and they have a very, very kind approach, like helping people figure out how to co-parent together. And the big thing that they said was getting the person out of your mind when getting the other person out of your mind and you just being present and not worrying about the the ex-wife or the ex-husband, that they're in your mind and that is ruining what you're doing Mm -hmm. with your children. And I thought that was, I'm like, there's that mindset thing. Oh, so much it's of how we physical being is affected by our mindset. And and not only that, but our our energetic being, our spiritual being, and all a lot of it and a great deal of it really starts with what's going on behind here. So getting this in the right place and then opening, I talk about, you know, I don't like to call it the law of attraction because, you know, it's kind of woo-woo and people just kind of get turned off. But truly, I have experienced things that can't be explained. And I do believe from my own personal experiences, I call it ask 
allow, accept, receive. Believe, right? Ask, ask what you want, right? Ask for what it is that you want in life. Focus on what you want, not what you don't want, which is what most of us do, right? We get focused on the negative and we're just attracting more of that. So ask for, get a vision, get it clear, and then ask for what you want, but you have to allow it to happen as well. You have to allow it to come to you organically. With no except with no expectations, right. correct? You are right. Yeah. You are right. Whatever the universe has in mind for you, that's okay. And you know, sometimes it's not going to work out exactly the way we want, but allow it, accept it. You have to believe you're worthy to accept it. And then you will re- if you believe that, you will receive it. And you know, it's not an instant thing. You know, that some of these sites some of these things are a little woo-woo and, you know, they make the person feel like they're not worthy of because they're not doing it right. I don't get into all that. But I do believe that if we put ourselves in the right frame of mind, if we take action steps on our own, we can't just wish for a million dollars and then sit there and say, okay, I accept it and receive it. If you take the steps to make that happen and you work towards it, Things will happen. Things will open up. Coincidences, God incidences, <laughs> um, those things will unfold. And, you know, if you're open to that and if you follow that and if you believe, just like I believe that heart rock was there, I knew I wasn't giving up. I knew it was there. And since then, you know, more has unfolded because my belief system has grown in all of this. So you can see it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So would you say that these rocks that you keep finding and keep coming your way, do you ever get like down and then a rock will show up or somebody will hand you a rock just when you need it? Absolutely. To remind you. They're not just rocks though. They're, they're all kinds of things. I, I wish. Right, you, right, right. You know, but it, just things that are heart shaped. And sometimes it's the funniest of things. Like the dog threw up one day and I looked down. It's like, I cannot believe that's shaped in a heart. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Who would believe this? But it's true, you know? right? <laughs> I That's amazing. Up. I'll crack an egg. I've got a picture of an egg that I opened, and it was a, I cracked it in the pan. It broke, and it went right into a heart shape. <laughs> well, what first? What has been your biggest obstacle, and what has been your biggest success in all of this? Mm. Would you say? Well. Well, the biggest obstacle, I guess, was, you know, just getting hit with so many things in a row. You know, it was a lot to recover from each time. And just when I would start getting my footing again, another big hit would come. So, you know, that was pretty tough at times. Yeah, that was pretty tough at times. But I think, again, going back to what I said before, I put in the work. You know, I I got a therapist who has helped me tremendously. And by the way, folks, if you get a therapist and you don't like them, or they're not that you don't like them, but they're not effective for you, they're not in sync, go find another. Because I went through several, but the last one that I found, she's a keeper. And uh, it took you a little bit to find the right one. It did. It really did. Just like anything in life. It's a great relationship. She gives me tips and tools on you know, how to handle certain situations. She bolsters me when I need it. She's supportive when I need it. You know, she's just, 
been a rock that I can always go back to and not burden other people or, you know, with my private thoughts, not talk to other people about it, but she's there right? and she's my go-to person. And that is so valuable to have someone to talk to. And especially when you're going through divorce. So we're dealing with death and grief and such. The other things was, you know, like I said, the experiential workshops, there's so much that you learn about yourself in those places. And then the group settings, I love all that energy that comes from being around other people. Oh my gosh. I've just, I've gone on, like, I call it life, um, life escapes. You know, I've gone and at times run away and sometimes you have to run away to find yourself. And that's very important. And boundaries. Oh my goodness, folks boundaries because especially for women you know oh okay i'll help with that even when you know you can't do another thing because we don't know how to say no or we enable people i had to learn boundaries okay i'm gonna say it i put some balls around my boundaries okay because i needed that i was a doormat and anybody who needed help i was right there helping them and then people you know sometimes took advantage of that and so I had to learn to put those firm boundaries in place in a kind, loving way for others and for myself. And that was my turning point. When I learned that what enabling was and that I was a part of that, okay, I understand. I take be accountable for that. I take responsibility for that, but I'm not doing that anymore. And that shifted everything in a lot of ways. And just having boundaries around your work, your family, your personal life, everywhere you need that. It is so important that you have boundaries so that you can take care of yourself first. And and the other turning point was, you know, I have this planner. Every week I write out all the things that need to get done. And sometimes it takes up three or four pages at, you know, when all the things were the worst. But I put everything that needed to be done. And then at the end I'd go, oh, and if I got any time here, I'll take care of these things for me. I stopped doing that. I turned the page and I said, my health, my wealth, my life, clients, family, friends. Oh, wow. You reorganized it. I did. You reprioritized. Yep. And what's the worst thing that's happened from that? I, nothing. No. I mean, some people's feathers have been ruffled. Some people have, but you know, that's, that's on them, not me. Right. That's exactly right. You know? Yeah. And I, and it's also in my business, it's been fantastic because what I learned to do was put a complete system in place where we have expectations and deliverables and boundaries for the clients and for me. And so we all know how we're going to work for each, with each other from the start. And we know what it's going to cost. I call it know your finances, know your fees. And it's going so well. I actually had some attorneys recently reach out to me and say, this was the easiest case we've ever worked because I had done all the financial stuff and gotten the folks to almost resolution before they went to them. They said, can you do some more? (laughs) That's fantastic. So, you know, most people come to me through referrals and or friends and family of people who've worked with me. But, you know, the attorneys in most cases have been like, we do it this way, you do it that way. And they didn't want to combine it. But now they're seeing, oh, you know, this has a definite place. And this is so much nicer to work with. And I, it's not as destructive. Yes. Yes. And I've aligned myself with people who are in that amicable mindset, that settlement mindset. And it, it 
that has taken a lot of pressure off as well. I'm not mired in the ne- negativity of everything. And not to say that people don't have some of that when they're getting divorced, of course, but I'm able to find a middle ground. I have always had this knack to be able to see things from both sides and to help people find that that place where they can come to compromise and not and do it without destroying each other. Look at what each has contributed during the marriage. Look at what each is contributing, trying to get to resolution and honoring them for that. And that's what's amazing about you. And that's why I think the energy healing and you're obviously empathic, like, and all your experiences you bring with you when you sit with people. And that is, that has got to be why. One of the many reasons why you are so helpful and people are so grateful to have you help them through this very difficult um, process, right? Now, moving forward, what are you looking forward to as you're coming out and seeing the light, as you break out of this tunnel? Oh my gosh, there's so much. Right now, I am literally going through a clearing and a cleansing phase. I feel like I need to cleanse the past in order to move into the future. And so I'm going crazy cleaning closets and drawers and just stuff because clutter doesn't, it doesn't just sit there. It affects our physical being. At least it does for me and for many people. It's just in the background. Oh, I think it does for everybody, whether we realize it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it's one of those things when your life is up going in a million directions and you don't have time, you sit something on a shelf, you shove something in a door, you know, or in a drawer and it stays there. And so I have literally been going through everything I own and, and not just, I'm clearing from not just a physical standpoint of, okay, I want this out of my space, but also a letting go, a thanking those things for the time that they were in my life, whether it's clothing or objects and, you know, thanking them for, for then, but you know, I don't need this anymore. I want to pass it on and give it to someone else. And so I've been taking lots of bags to every week. I take whatever I've done for the week over to Goodwill or one of the other stores around and I donate it and it feels wonderful to know that, you know, someone else can enjoy it now. Or if I find something that's been personal to me, but I feel like I've, I've had it long enough, I'm passing it on to someone else and saying, I want you to have this now. And here's why. And it's, it feels wonderful. And I'm finding a lightness about myself now. It just feels like I am opening the space for so much more to come. Oh, I love it. That is amazing. And you're writing the book. Oh, yes. I want to finish the books, the two books. So um, the other book, you already mentioned the one about um, Shattering the Legacy of Trauma, the one that I need to finish. I've got more work to do. But the other one will maybe called The Heart Rock because that's where it all began. That is is written. And I was ready to work on publishing it when my son-in-law died. I had gone away on a on a writing retreat, you know, in my life escape. I, I take and I write while I'm gone. And um, I came back and, you know, he passed away and everything went mayhem. And, you know, then COVID and cancer and kids and that crazy cat. And, you know, I just haven't had the opportunity. So I am putting my own life in order now. And the things that I have left behind that I need to take care of are all going to be taken care of here by the end of the year. That's my goal. 
And then starting the new year, I'm going to work on those two books and growing my businesses and serving more people and enjoying my life. I have not really been out and done much, you know, with COVID and cancer and all that. And I want to start living again. So I am just looking forward to the next chapter of my life, to my second and third win. (laughs) Yes. And I, I just, I feel so light and so happy and so hopeful about the future. No matter what's going on in the world, we can only control what's going on in here. And I want to spread those messages of hope and help. Do you have like a mantra or something you want to leave the second wind listeners with that they can chew on for a little bit? Well, gosh, so much. And I've I've shared a lot of that today. I think one thing I would say is the saying that I was trying to think of earlier, be a proactive partner, not a passive participant in your life. You know, you have to control the flow of your life. You have to make decisions. Don't let, you know, experts make all the decisions for you without getting the input, without understanding what they're doing for you, whether it's doctors or finances or real estate, whatever it is, get their advice, take the best of it. But if something doesn't feel right, then you need to get a second opinion. And I will tell you that saved my life twice because the first time I had breast cancer, I felt the lump and nothing showed on a mammogram. And I insisted that they look at it another way. And that's when they did the ultrasound. At the time, I didn't even know what an ultrasound was. And they found the first lump. And that doctor told me in these words exactly, don't worry your pretty little head about it. Go home and take care of your children. It's related to your menstrual cycle. You're too young to have breast cancer at 36 years old. Right. And my gut was so you intuitively knew. I knew. I knew because I had fibrocystic breast. I knew what that felt like. And, you know, uh, it, this was different. This was a hard fixed lump. And so I didn't listen to him. I went home and I called my, my GP or my GYN and I said, you know, I need to follow up on this. And he said, yes, you do. And so I went for a surgical biopsy and I woke up from that being told that I had breast cancer. And not just one tumor, but five, five very aggressive types of cancer. So, you know, my life was saved by an itch. I had an itch. I went to scratch and I felt this lump. And so I knew be a proactive partner, not a passive participant. Had I listened to that doctor and just poo-pooed it and went home and, you know, didn't think about it anymore, I wouldn't be alive today. I wouldn't have been alive for much longer. And then the second time around, I kept telling the doctors for a year that I felt something wasn't right. And I did go for uh, a mammogram multiple times over a couple of years. And they kept saying there was nothing there. And right before, before I found the lump, I mean, right before I was diagnosed, I was driving down the road one day and the pain, I started getting a lot of pain. And that people say, if you have pain, that means it's not breast cancer. Don't, it, right. Both times were painful. Okay. So that, that's a myth. Yes. And so the pain was getting very intense. And I thought something is wrong. And I thought I'm having a heart attack. And so I pulled over on the side of the road and I'm sitting there and my heart's pounding because I'm nervous. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. Okay. 
I'll call 911. And then I realized my husband died on the side of the road waiting for 911, right? So I'm not doing that. Where is the closest urgent care? I looked on my phone and I drove myself there and I walked in the door and they took me right in, waiting room full of people because they thought I was having a heart attack too. And I fortunately was not, but they told me, go follow up on that. If your gut is telling you, go follow up on that. And a few weeks later, I was able to have my mammogram and I knew instinctively when they called me back in to get more films, it's back. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a different kind of cancer, though, this time. So it's, it wasn't that it was back. It's that I have it again. And, you know, again, if I had not continued following up and it turned out that it had been seen on films prior, but that they, they had missed it. That's the first thing oh, that the gosh. radiologist said to me is, you know, because I brought my other films with me. I always do that every time I go. And they said, how could they have missed this? Oh my gosh. Well, humans are human. I mean, bottom line, you always have to be the advocate. I love that message. It's important, as, especially as we're getting older and that we really, we, our bodies are a lot smarter mm -hmm. than we give them credit for. And our, in, our intuitiveness concerning our own health is really important. And we need to dial that in more and more. Yeah. And it's Definitely. not about being a hypochondriac. You know, it's not about that at all. It's about knowing what's normal and what's not for you. And when something's out of whack and you're feeling it, even if they can't put a name on it, you know, I, right now I'm dealing with what I believe is adrenal fatigue. My daughter, again, she's such a great researcher. She, she sent me this program. She said, mom, well, I'm sure you have adrenal fatigue for sure. Well, you know, I was reading all about this yesterday. I'm going to start this new program that she sent me. And, but when I read about it, it was like tick, 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 tick. Every symptom that they wrote about, I had. I said, this is it. This is what's happened to me. But I went and started doing research because that's what I do. And it, doctors don't believe that adrenal fatigue is real. <laughs> if you read the medical literature, they say the allopathic ones don't, but the naturopathic ones do. Yes. The but, uh, Chinese medicine, all that. Uh, yes. Everything else that's been around for 2,000 years believes it. It's the 200-year-old <laughs> medical practice that doesn't believe it. Because it, you, can't, you can't put a pill in your body and pay lots and lots of money for it to fix it. And that's why. Interesting. Lisa, thank you so much for your time today. Unbelievable. I am so glad you are seeing the light. And your energy... I mean, by the end of the, of our time together, you are just exploding with energy and what you're looking forward to and taking care of yourself and having fun and, uh, growing your business and all that. And I'm just so happy you're there. Thank you. It's amazing. You know, it's amazing that you, we tried to get together since April and that's when all the shift was happening with my granddaughters and a lot of travel that was wonderful this summer, but there was a reason. That we didn't read yes. until now. And it's because I, I needed to tell you the ending of the story now. It would have been That's a different right. ending. <laughs> well, I think we said that to each other. I said, no worry. This, we'll tell the story yeah. when it needs to be told. I tell that to people. And they're all gun ho and they're like, oh, something happens. I'm like, there's a reason. Stay tuned. And when the story needs to be told, it'll, be get, it'll get told when it needs to be told. And now many people will learn from your experiences and we're going to put how to get in touch with you and everything that you do on the show notes. Thank you.
And I thank you so much again, my dear friend. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.